0: When you invest, you get equity in the company. It's not just cash flow, you get equity. That's a big plan of ours going forward with a a lot of our growth funds is that we want private equity to be a buyer from us. And basically, if you've got 10 plus locations, they tend to snap them up and they'll overpay too, because they typically just have to beat market rate. And I'd love to be a supplier for them. So, like, when we have an exit of a portfolio, all the investors in the portfolio get their shares worth of exit value from there. So it's almost like if you owned shares of a publicly traded company and they got acquired, you get a payout. It's the same type of thing here. It's it's already set up for the first portfolio. Welcome to Franchise Empires, where aspiring entrepreneurs learn
1: exactly what it takes to become a successful franchise owner from one location to 10 and beyond. I'm the Wolf of Franchises. Hey guys, it's the Wolf we have a bit of a different vibe coming your way in the show today my conversation this time is with kenny rose the founder and ceo of fran shares if you've listened to this podcast before you've probably heard the advertisements that we've done for them but this is a candid conversation with kenny where we dive into how exactly fran is able to give access to real franchises at just 500 dollars a share and what that can mean for you as an investor We also discussed the ultimate roadmap for Franchairs, where Kenny foresees a future in which you can be dining or working out at a local franchise, and with a simple scan of a QR code, invest some money right then and there to have ownership in that business. It's a super cool business idea, and I think
0: you're going to love hearing from Kenny. The Wolf of Franchises is the CEO of Wolfpack Franchising, as well as a creator at Workweek Media. All opinions expressed by The Wolf and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Wolfpack Franchising or Workweek. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The Wolf, Workweek, and Wolfpack Franchising may maintain positions in the franchises discussed on this podcast.
1: How much do you work on franchises? Like I mean, it's a startup, and you, I know you have an
0: employee now, right? I have a couple employees, and they give me crap all the time because they check my calendar. They're like, "I can't book time with you," because <laughs> um, yeah. honestly, like, um, especially now we're doing like on top of all the normal stuff I have to do, we also yeah. do user interviews because I, like, I want you know, it's. I'd be making assumptions if it's like, oh, here's what they don't understand, and here's where we need to educate them. Here's why they like it. It's like you don't really know until you actually start talking to them. And so we started, originally it was just like, as people signed up, it was part of the regular onboarding. So it's, hey, do you want to talk to the founder that. for 15 minutes? And then, I mean, I've done, I lost count. I mean, I can go in our CRM and check, but I've probably done four or 500 of them now. And uh, like, I've done 30 already this week. And oh. I probably have another like 40. Like this is a very, uh, it's also like when we had our influencer stuff start going out, like wait list exploded. Yeah. So my calendar just poof, immediately gone booked with everything so my girlfriend oh, gives me crap because she's like you need to schedule a lunch in there because it'll literally be especially if like they're <laughs> 15 minute calls I've had days where they're like 30 in a row and I'm just <laughs> holy crap man. Yeah, sometimes you're yeah. Ho- you're hoping people cancel on you're like I need to run and go do something for a minute jeez and that's just kind of like get letting them ask any questions they have on the, about the platform yeah so I, I usually structure it along the same way where it's like how'd you find out about us? Why are why'd you care? And then we really go on that. I learn more about them. And then it's like, okay, well, I always ask if they read the white paper yet. And shocking yeah. amount have not. And I tell them, when we hang up, you need to go read the white paper. Cause I'm like, we we want to educate everyone, but it doesn't work if you don't read. And so um yeah. and also like it lets them understand we're like, hey, I'm not gonna uh, I mean, I just I'm like, it would have gone a lot better if you had already read. So it's like, all right, what questions do you have (laughs) before you read that? Because you're going to get a lot more information out of there than I can give you in 15 minutes. So, And then it's been so busy that we now we're doing weekly webinars. And for certain people, we'll still do one-on-ones, which obviously there were a lot of certain people this week.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, that's kind of, uh, you know, Paul Graham, like, uh, do things that don't scale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seems like uh, a good playbook for for any startup founder is just in the early days get to know your customer learn from them
0: see what you could do that that makes your product better early on. So it's amazing smart, the man. variety of people that you get on there too. Like it's everyone from like the. Oh. I might do 500 bucks, but it's a lot to me all the way to, I'm probably gonna do half a million, but I might do some more. We'll see. And then uh, <laughs> on top of that, it's just like how they treat you too. Like a lot of people think they're really appreciative and they're like, Hey, you know, it's, it's great to connect I didn't actually expect to be talking to the founder. I thought it'd be someone else. Yeah, it's cool. And then there's some people who just treat me like a complete piece of garbage. And they're like, you're trying really? to earn my money. Like, okay, let's see. Let's get some answers. Ready. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to answer everything. But like, I'm not your stockbroker. Like, I'm here to help you if you want to do something. Like, we got over 20,000 on the wait list. Like, I, I don't have to give you time. Like, don't, you know? Yeah. Like, you're
1: not, you're not desperate here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, that reminds me back to my past life as a franchise salesperson, where right from the get go, you get on an introductory call that they booked to learn about your franchise. And it's just right off the bat, it's very almost confrontational, as if like, they're automatically expecting that you're trying to rip them off, and I'm. It's like, hey, I, you booked
0: this call, and you're asking me questions. <laughs> so I, I would actually, when I was uh, running my brokerage, Semfi, I would address that head on, and like first call, I'd be like, hey, just so you know, there's like a 95% chance that you're never going to do this, but I'm here to help you. Like, go through the process and see if you want to. Like, there's a ton of reasons why it might, probably won't work out for you, but if it does make sense for you, then I'm gonna make sure we do everything to get you there. It was a couple of reasons for that. Like I wanted people to know that like, I'm not planning on closing them. Like odds are I'm never gonna make money off this, but I tell yeah. them I want you to learn all of this. And also like, you're gonna end up referring people to me down the road if it's not a good fit for you. And I think it was like, they were very comforting in that. And also like, I wanted to test them too. Cause some people are just looking into franchising for all the wrong reasons. And you know, as a business owner, you're gonna get kicked in the face like, I don't care if it's franchising or startup, like, you have to grind and work your way up. And so I wanted that to be the first pushback. It's like, well, if they hear that, are they going to be done? Because great, that's what they needed to hear then. And they should not go into this. Yeah, no, definitely.
1: Yeah, that was part of my like, initial thing on the intro call as well was just, I call it like setting the upfront contract. It's like, hey, Like, this is the process. If you make it that far, chances are you're not, you're going to drop out for one of X reasons. And right, like, you and I, too, were different in that, you know, you're a broker. How, how many brands did you represent? Like five or six hundred. A couple hundred at least. Yeah. Okay. Five or six hundred. I mean, I was working for a development firm that had like five or six brands at most at yeah. one time. So I would say, I'd be like, look, like there's tons of brands out there. If this one isn't it, like that's it. That's, our relationship's over. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. But yeah, I mean, it, it would it would usually help to build trust. But yeah, yeah I also just like kind of disarm hopefully those those ones who come in hot you know who think you're trying to steal their money or something
0: and i like that you said so. the upfront contract isn't that sandler sales training yeah sandler baby sandler's is a, franchise. a franchise Franchises for everything <laughs> i love
1: it <laughs> yeah man uh yeah dude sandler is great great sales training oh yeah that uh, honestly, it, i i don't want to sound dramatic but it changed the trajectory of my career because i was working for a franchise this is before the development firm. And so this is the first job I had out of college. Territory manager for this. Uh, it's a HVAC supply house franchise. Oh. And man. so I was selling to, I was like a territory manager selling to residential and commercial contractors. And I was getting groomed for it, but long story short, a salesman passed away who was older unexpectedly. So I was going to replace him in a few years when he retired, Oh, but no. they're like, all right, Hey, you, you know, you're in oh, like, time to get in there. Wow. So, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing sales wise. And luckily the manager there just sent me to a Sandler uh, class. He didn't really want to, I don't think, but I don't even know how it happened, but thank God he did that. Cause I learned so much. Oh, yeah. uh, it, was, it was awesome, man. That's it's really cool. Uh,
0: I um, Cause we, yeah. you know, especially like in the FranNet days, like we, we'd sell Sandler everywhere. And so they'd actually like want to make sure that we, both did a great job and sold them specifically. And so they'd give us some trainings like at conferences and stuff, which was really cool. And oh, so, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So we get it for free. <laughs> Cause honestly, like I was technically an independent contractor so that my bosses were paying for it. So I'm like, great. Yeah. I'll take the free stuff. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: definitely. And, and so brokering was, uh, and for people who don't know being a franchise broker, uh, sometimes there are, Refer to as consultants in the industry, but the reality is, is they're brokers. Um, they represent hundreds of brands, and they function much like a real estate broker would, right? They help you find a franchise. You don't have to pay for them; they get commissioned by the franchise if you end up purchasing one of their brands. That was your introduction, right, to the franchise world, or were you doing yeah.
0: something? Yeah, no, that, that, that was it. And I love that you you said the same stuff about brokers that I do. Is that I I use the term broker all the time, especially with my last company, was Semphia Franchise Brokerage. I threw it right out there, because I find the term consultant very misleading. You know, it's like consulting is usually you pay them and they give you advice on how to change things uh, for the benefit. And it's really it's like. You get paid if you close, like that's a broker. And so you. Know, they like to just, uh, I think broker, has, they thought broker has a negative connotation, but I wanted to lean into it and be like, yeah, that's what I am. Like people come to brokers when they need a specific service. And so I wanted to be upfront and honest. Like that was, I, I think calling anything different, I felt misleading.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I love that. I think uh, I, I wish more people did it because I've definitely spoken to candidates who got a bad taste in their mouth from from brokers because maybe they they weren't sure of how the you know the, what the incentive structure was and then all of a sudden they looked back and they're like oh well now I know why they were pushing me hard to like a few brands that I made clear I wasn't really that interested in and um, yeah I, I think there's definitely uh, there can, there can be issues with that with that model well, what was your whole first impression though of just the franchise industry when when you got into it
0: so funny um it's actually um <laughs> my ex-girlfriend's dad introduced me to franchising great guy oh, okay. so like i'd known him for years and um he was the ceo of a company that coaches ceos so like i've always i'd always known him as that and um you know after college he's like hey i got a ton of introductions for you i'd love to get you a job so i'm like hey i worked hard to get into merrill lynch i'm gonna go get a job there because i'd intern there for two semesters. I'm like, that's that's my career path i set up and so i went there got the job was there for a year or two, hated it. I was like, I need to get out of this immediately. And um, I started talking to him, like, hey, you know, Jim, I, I'd love to start taking you up on uh, on your uh, offer. And then he threw me an absolute curveball. And he's like, what do you know about franchising? Like, franchising? Like, what do you know about it? I, I'm thinking, like, McDonald's, Subway, KFC, like, what everyone listening originally yeah. was like? And he's like, did you know my company's a franchise? I'm like, you're a franchise? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I didn't know that was franchise. He says, they have franchises for everything. And he'd been working with FranNet for years on the brokerage side. And so he said, I want you to meet a couple guys. And um, they were my mentors in the franchise industry and they, you know, owned uh, the Southern California territory. And so I started off in business development for him, but it was kind of like when I had my first interview to actually be an intern at Maryland, it was just like, I didn't know what it was. And I've got an inquisitive mind. So I asked a hundred questions and, um, you know, I, th- I think uh, they saw me connecting with it very quickly because, like, my dad's always been an entrepreneur. I would have loved to have be been an entrepreneur back then, but I didn't have a specific yeah. idea. You know, it's hard to, like, have the idea that's going to, like, really carry or have the systems in place. So I'm hearing this yeah. and I'm like, man, this is a great. F-. And funny enough, like I said, they have a franchise for everything. FranNet is a franchise, too. So it's a franchise brokerage franchise. <laughs> it's that's, like, the most meta thing I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: Is, wait, so he was the CEO of his own friend Franchise?
0: He was the franchisee of uh, that territory. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. All right. So, you know, yeah. I, I get into a little loose area when it comes to like being the CEO of a franchise when it's your franchisee because uh, I, I know there's some people who mislead others by saying they're like the president of the company or the CEO of that. And it's just like, well, you got to be specific about that. You were of that territory, you know, like if Yeah,
1: like, yeah. No, For sure. For sure. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I didn't know that. So w- w- where do you go from there? You're a broker for a few years, and obviously you went to Semphia. So you just figured I'd rather be the top deal
0: maker versus working within
1: the system of, you know, supporting another broker?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, originally I started off doing business development forum. And so I was going to like a bunch of networking events, uh, driving all over Southern California. And, you know, then they, brought me up and made me a full-fledged broker. And then I was starting off helping out in Orange County and then eventually took over like half of LA County for them. And, um, you know, I was doing it for, I don't know, like a year or two of running that territory. And then, you know, got to this point of where it was like my lease was coming up and, you know, just was thinking about life, you know, like I had moved to Redondo Beach in yeah. South Bay of LA. And I always said I'd never moved to LA, but I was like, it's an opportunity I couldn't pass up. But, you know, my first year's coming up there and I'm like, okay, what's the next move? I got to be thinking long term because I I can't buy this company, you know, like they're the franchisees. They'd been the franchisees for like 30 years. They were not selling it. And so um, I was like, what's the next move? And so I'm thinking about reflecting and it's like, you know, all the they would do two conventions a year. And like I felt like every convention I was going to, they're doing a new seminar on something that I'd come up with pretty much. And then they were expanding on and teaching it to everyone else. Then it got to, um, you know, uh, when I went to one of the broker trainings for them and literally flip open the training manual. I'm like, these are my emails. Like, why are my emails in your book? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I didn't get paid for that. Okay. And then um, also there's other thing like this book here uh, is uh, I'm a uh, one of the 15 business thought leaders in an Amazon bestseller. And I actually had to pay to help them get it published. And it is a amazon bestseller and i do not get royalties on it so i'm like okay i think i'm helping you guys more than you're helping me at this point yeah and uh so in between that and all this i was like i've learned it all it's been five years about i'm gonna go out and start on my own and so i moved out to chicago started my own and i wanted a very different focus because normally it's like they're all consultants and they work with people in career transition like normally it's like executives who get laid off, who are, you know, they also get tired of finding a job a lot of the time. It's like, oh, I can buy this business and like do it that, like be an entrepreneur. Like it's a great route. Like it's, if you have the mindset, it's a great way to get in business for yourself. But I realized that's not what a lot of them wanted. A lot of them were like, no, I like corporate. I want a side business. I think this is the way to do a side business, especially like semi-absentee franchises were coming up more and more because all the is there to, you know, yeah. have a lot of them like run automatic, not automatically, but like you can manage the manager a lot easier with all the technology there. So I was like, exactly. I want to dive headfirst into that side of things. And um, especially coming with the Merrill Lynch background, it was, okay, I, I know how to sell investments and I know franchising. So let's sell franchising as an investment. And so I really focused on that. And then um, I just had a big push on like education too. Like everyone hears me talk about it constantly. I did it with Semphia too. I want people to learn about it. And then, uh, yeah, just kind of took off from there.
1: Wow. Okay. What concepts did you either find the most success with, like meaning like that candidates were interested in or just some of your favorite concepts if you were representing, you know, 500 to 600?
0: I worked with concepts and everything. Like I was very agnostic. Cause like, you know, every person's very different. So you want to find the right one yep. for them. But um, again, because I was doing a lot of semi-absentee stuff, fitness was one that was especially just more common. I'd say that in hair care came up a whole lot. Oh, really? My favorite ones are the weird ones. The ones that like people <laughs> just do not think of as being a business, like waste management, dryer vent cleaning, Window washing, like things that people don't think of as like, and they're all around. People just like, don't see, it's like, oh, that's a business. And it's like, those are the ones I like because people tend to like the more flashier stuff. And everyone always comes in asking about McDonald's. I'm like, why do you want a McDonald's? And (laughs) I'm like, well, it's the Golden Arches. Everyone knows it. it's everywhere. I'm like, well, there's a lot of brands like that. What are you looking for out of it? And they, we start talking more. I'm like, so you want to make money? (laughs) They're like, yeah. I'm like, great. Well, you know, one McDonald's is kind of harder to do that. They're very expensive. It's very tight margins. Like if you want to, if you want 50 McDonald's, you'll make money, like you're saying, but like, why not, you know, for the cost of one McDonald's, why don't you do five super cuts? They're like, I can do that? I'm like, yeah, "Yeah." you don't have as big of a storefront. You don't have as many employees. You don't have to build a kitchen. And they're like, oh, well, that makes sense. Because it's just that people don't know about franchising. They like, they have an idea. And then when they start learning, they're like, oh crap, this is actually, I was looking in a totally different direction than what I meant to go in. It's a pretty similar mindset to what what I
1: have and uh, what I learned, you know, from being at the dev firm was just that the the best and the most successful multi unit operators were the ones who, like you said, right, like just find a good concept, good unit unit economics, build out multiple of them, right? Like the lower the the real estate was more attractive, less labor is always a good thing, and or even just if you can do a, like a GM to a location, essentially like a like a manager per store and then you're just managing the managers Um, or even you know maybe you're the first manager and then after that you know after a few locations you hire someone and kind of outsource it but uh yeah that's definitely the the playbook that seemed to be the best with the multi unit operators
0: yeah so you really got to have that like empire building mindset going into because a lot of people just try cheaping out right off the bat they're like oh you know they recommend spending seventy thousand on a gm well you know what I can find one for 50 and they're going to be great. It's like, yeah, you can find one for 50. It's not going to be a good one for 50, but that's where people do is they start cheaping out in these different areas. They're on the empire building mentality where it's like, no, if I'm in empire mode, instead of 70, I'm going to spend 90 because I want the best. And I want the one who's going to bring the best employees, crank out the best numbers and make my ROI higher in the long run. It's like, you can see 20 grand, in the short run or what 20 grand gets you in the long run. Exactly. Yeah. The, the long-term mindset is key and, Right, because I mean, you
1: start getting turnover early on as you're building new locations, and you can just confine yourself in really tough spots. And especially, right, if you're going for that semi-absentee role where maybe you have a job
0: still, I mean, it's just Man, a lot just of huge. That, yeah, and yeah. I, I don't know why people always overspend if you can, and if you can't, like wait until you can. That's that's how it should be.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely.
0: All right. Well, so
1: when did you decide? And maybe it wasn't that. You know, you, you tell me, was it that you got sick of or just tired of, of the broker game or,
0: you know, was it a push or a pull to franchise? and how did that idea develop? Man, I got thrown off a cliff that I had to do this right then because I actually had the idea for franchises right around when I was starting Semphia. And that was part of the reason of starting it was I was like, so this is six, seven years ago. I heard about yeah. Fundrise and their Series A and I started diving yep. all into Fundrise. and I'm like, oh, gosh. I can do this for franchising. It had a lot that needed to be fleshed out. And also, like I yeah. didn't see myself personally as someone who was fundable by like venture capital. I was like, I'm, I'm not there yet. So I, I wanted to get there. And I also knew that like, what people in the franchise industry tend to get in their tracks and they stay in their tracks and they don't think, what can I do differently? So I was like, I don't think no one's going to beat me to this idea. And so... I was like, okay, let me go build this other company, make myself extremely fundable, and then we'll start Franchairs. It was even called that then. I, I didn't have a name at the time. So then I, you know, big part of doing what I did with Semfia was like become a thought leader in the space. You're already off to a hell of a better start than I did at it. So you know, the sky's <laughs> living for you, but you know, I started off just writing on Quora and answering questions and, um, you know, honestly, I, I had a big break on there where um, I answered one about uh, how much a Chick-fil-A franchise costs. And um, it's insane oh, yeah, because... This. yeah, it, it's insane because, you know, when you write answers, you get people engaging and upvoting it with it because I didn't even know. They're sneakily one of the most visited websites. It's like 300 million users a month. So I answer a question and then, as yes, people upvote it and they see that has got good engagement. They'll send it in their, like, daily emails. They call it a daily digest. And so then it's like... We just sent your answer to 500 people. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. And then they gauge how people react to that if they should send it to more. Yeah. And so then it's like, hey, we sent it to a thousand. Hey, we sent it to 20,000. Every time I'm like losing my mind. And then like <laughs> it was like, then like, hey, we sent it to a million. And I'm, oh my gosh, I'll never forget. I was in an elevator actually. Thankfully I had a reception. I, I think I was on my way to a party too. And it's, we just sent your answer to 20 million people. And uh, I just walk in and just my jaws drop. They're like, what's going on? And I just show them the, the notification. I even opened it yet. They're We all just lost our minds. So until they sent it to 40 <laughs> million people and uh, it just kept taking off from there. It got cited a bunch of articles. I remember um, not long after this, I was uh, reading the hustle. Uh, which I, you're a hustle reader too, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the, the work week crew, you know, so now that I'm working with them and partner with them in the content, like, yeah, the, Core, like the founders are from the hustle.
0: Oh, okay. There you go. That that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Especially when the hustle got acquired by HubSpot, I was so excited for them. But, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, well, hopefully, Workweek's not mad. We're talking about them. <laughs> oh, no, they'd be excited for them. <laughs> no, it. no. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they so uh, I was reading yeah. the daily newsletters, and one of them said, Hey, we're writing an article on Chick fil A. Does anyone have any insights into it? And so I like, reach out. And then, um, they book a call with me, and I'm talking to Zach Crockett. He's like the head writer for the Sunday Stories. And he's like, this is crazy. I actually have your answer open in another tab. You're like the guy I wanted to talk to. I'm like, perfect. And so then they end up writing a whole Sunday story about it. And, um, beginning of last year, they sent out their. It was one of their top stories for the entire year of the hustle. It went viral, man. That was, that was a sick write up. Cause I I love, I love that Sunday. I mean, they still do it. The Sunday edition is awesome. They always have Um, such amazing things in there. You're just like, why did you even think that this was a thing to write on? (laughs) And then how'd you get so in depth on it? It's incredible, yeah. Zach does a does a killer job. Uh, I'm curious, like what
1: uh drove more to Semphia the 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 core? Like, did your was your phone or
0: email blowing up from that, or was that much more an awareness? I'd say it was and more I, of an awareness thing. Like, I'd get some uh, coming from there, but honestly it was it was a combination. Like You have to start stacking up these different routes where people find you. Because another one is um, you ever heard of a uh, Harrow help a reporter out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for for those that don't know, it's uh. If you want to be a source for something, you sign up for it. They send you three emails a day and it's broken down by section. And so for three years straight, three times a day, every day, I'm opening those up and looking for something about franchising. And believe me, they do not write about franchising very much anywhere. (laughs) But um, I managed to end up getting picked up in Forbes American Express's blog. Eventually, Business Insider did a whole article on me, which I thought I was just doing a quote in it. They're like, "No, the whole article's on you, and you're working the industry." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, it's amazing!" Oh, and yeah, awesome. so in total, with all those, I reached 300 million people without any ad spend. And so it was like they were just coming in from different sources; it just kept stacking up over time. And so when you asked about like how did franchise come, it's like honestly, I built a good brokerage. I was very happy with everything. Like, it was a struggle to get there. Don't get me wrong. But I was very yeah. happy with where I was at the time. And then um, especially like uh, when quarantine hit and like COVID's first breaking out, I actually had a ton of deals that were going on still. And like you know, a lot of people were like, oh, I especially they're like thinking long term, like, you know, it's not going to last forever. We can start building things up, however. But then uh, I read an article that people were gambling on the stock market because sports weren't on. And I was just like, oh, yeah. Oh, Robin my gosh. Wall Street bets, baby. Yeah. I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm late. Like. It was it wasn't even questions. It was like shut Semphia down, get franchise going like it was just not even a question. Oh, so that was the moment you're like, now is the time. Yeah, it, it was it had to happen. I was just like, if I if this was already running, I'm like, man, I could have gotten a billion in assets under management immediately. Um, but you know, I was like, hey, better yeah. late than never. And then I had a bunch of friends in the startup world. Uh, especially I gotta give a shout out to Cody Barbo with uh, trusted will. He he was a friend uh, from college. We were fraternity president at the same time and he'd been through multiple fundraise, different companies for good and bad. And so uh, he just helped me get all the way here. And then um, yeah, now we're sitting with 23,000 on the wait list. <laughs> Damn. So did you, you raised uh, money like yeah. right
1: once you were mid quarantine and you're like, I got to get this going. Was your first instinct? Build it yourself, or did you know that this was going to need venture backing?
0: Oh, I knew it was impossible to do without venture backing. Um, legal fees, registering with the SEC is not a cheap thing, and especially like, you know, I wasn't looking at who would do it for cheapest. I was looking for who would do it right, and so yeah, you know, I could found it for, I could have gotten it done for a fourth of the price, if not less. But you know, I was like, I want the best lawyers in the country on this. Like, I want to pay top dollar because it's a security it's an asset like I want to make sure we're doing this right so yeah it was I had to go raise money for that and also like marketing it's important to if you're gonna do marketing right you got to spend it right and so I knew just yeah. those two I had to raise money for it and so if someone's never heard of franchairs
1: but maybe they're you know they're interested in invest in investing they have Robinhood, maybe they have a, a few fractional trading platforms like Rally Road or Fundrise like you mentioned earlier just from the product end, like for the consumer, what's the experience going to be like? You know, is there is there an app and how, how is it going to work?
0: The app will be coming uh, later this year. Uh, but nice, it's a pretty standard workflow in the fractional investing world, because when you think about it, it's just like investing in stocks. It's like you need the ability to learn about the investment and deposit money. And then really the rest is the management side that's done by the company you're investing in. And so it's a really smooth interface. Um, if anything, the only concern is you have to go through like the know your customer and anti-money laundering checks uh, with everyone, which I feel people are like, I just want one click checkout. It's like, yeah, this is investing. <laughs> I got to make sure you're who you say you are. And, um, yeah. you, you know, it's funny because like, especially in like the world world of crypto, they just, they don't even want to give your name. It's like, here's my number. And so uh, I think that's the only part that people yeah. don't care for, but realistically, it's a great interface to be able to go in, learn everything about the franchises that you're investing in. Like I'm about over-education, so I want people to know everything about the franchises, the leadership teams, why we chose them, you know, what their locations make normally, uh, how much they cost. Because I, I feel like there's just so little transparency going on that there needs to be something that is. And That's a great thing about franchising is like everything's regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. So a lot of our stuff we're pulling from the Federal Trade Commission filings and we're like, hey, we're not giving you the numbers. This is the stuff that they put out that is regulated by the FTC. Oh, beautiful. So you're going to have
1: basically information from the franchise disclosure documents in the app. Like let's just pretend it's McDonald's. It'll say from McDonald's FDD you know, this is the average unit volume.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I brought, I, I mean, I, we couldn't fit the entire FDDs cause that Yeah. <laughs> right. honestly my own filing's not as long as those, but like, you know, things like the item sevens for cost the item 19s for returns. Like I wanted to show people like, Hey, we're not making up numbers for you. Like I want to use their numbers. Like honestly with the setup we have, we're going to be beating average performance, but I wanted to show people average performance and make sure that they're comfortable with that. And like, you know, we're stretching out the ramp up period and overdoing how much, uh, management costs are there because I'd rather under promise and over deliver when it came to this. Definitely. And let's dive into
1: that as far as, you know, your setup versus a standard franchise owner. How, do, how does it differ?
0: I think one of my concerns with like, there are a lot of great franchise owners out there, but there's also some terrible ones. And, um, you know, <laughs> oh, and every franchise owner can tell you like certain things that do it for them. And, a lot of times it's people not following the process or they're not properly financed. You know, they want to do their own thing on their own time. And so what we do is really bring more of like the portfolio fund approach to it where you know we're building out teams instead of like, hey, can this one person skill set transition over from corporate to the franchise world? And also, can they personally do it? Like, can they deal with not being in an office and instead going to working in a small business? Instead of doing all of this stuff. It's let's put in teams in place that actually have already done it and that they're very well experienced. And so instead of one person doing 10 different functions from like marketing and finance, even, you know, with the support of the franchise, or it's still a lot to do. But instead, it's, hey, if we're doing 20, 30 locations of something, we can build out a team. And, you know, instead of one person doing marketing and finance, we can have actual people that are designated for each one. And so they can be more effective in it. And so we bring a stronger foundation. And that's why franchisors have already been loving this. Like some of the ones we're working with are already talking to us about rolling up other locations. Uh, I've got, man, the big names in franchising that have reached out already uh, has been amazing because they see this. It's, it's what private equity does. But if private equity did it right, because a lot of times private equity's there. They're like, hey, we'll overpay. We'll strip things out because we just need to beat market rates. You know, I'm held accountable by investors. So I want to destroy those market rates and know, private equity can buy our funds later for much more. And I thank you for it in advance. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, yeah,
1: what I'm hearing is basically, I mean, this is not a uh, slight towards towards franchise owners at all. It's just there's good ones and there's bad ones. But what you're bringing to the table to the franchisor's perspective is not only like you're not going to be a good franchise owner. You're almost like institutional, professionally managed franchises with legitimate teams yeah. behind all the locations. That and you know that a, a standard franchise owner just like, they realistically can't afford that to do that from scratch.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like uh, a good comparison. Would be like if you were some an individual buying a commercial property, or if you're a REIT. And you've got all those systems in place and you've got, you've got the capital, you've got the people, you've got the operations. It's like, I'd rather go with those big guys because they have everything set up already.
1: Yeah, no. Okay. That's a great comparison.
0: How do you balance
1: sort of, I mean, this is more just, uh, I don't know, philosophical question. So like you're a startup founder, but you obviously know the benefits of of franchises really well. Mm -hmm. If someone's hearing this, they might think, oh, this is awesome. You know, Kenny's, founding franchairs and maybe they're pulled towards a startup life, but you also have so much experience working with franchise owners. What do you see as the pros and cons? Would you like recommend one over the other? Like go start a company or, hey, this is high risk, high reward. The, fr- the franchise uh, path is probably better.
0: It's the same thing as vetting anyone who wants to get into franchising anyway. It's that there's no like one sweeping answer that's right. It really depends on your goals. If you're looking at franchising as just an investment and you're like, I want to get our return on investment from like these tangible businesses, we're the way to go. If you're, hey, I'm trying to get out of the corporate world. I've got a great skill set and I'm ready to run my own business and I've got a driving need to do it. Franchising is definitely a great way. To, I mean, we're still franchising, but like being an owner operator is a great way to go. And then, like, if you're comparing it to startup world, o- honestly, just the odds are so against you in starting from scratch and, like, especially the yeah. startup tech world. And, you know, I, I I got so many viral posts on LinkedIn in the last six months because I've been actually telling my story finally because, like, there were plenty of years of struggle. Like, I've invested 10 years to get to this point. And it's like a lot of people are like, man, how has no one done this? Oh, you got to be so excited. I'm like, there were no cheerleaders the last 10 years. You know, it was it wasn't <laughs> until now and, like, That's part of how I was able to get funding was that I invested 10 years to get to this point to like, no one has ever thrown me a curveball of a question on a venture call. Like they want to poke holes in like, whether it's my experience or franchising or this model. And I just knock them all out of the park. I know I'm patting myself on the back really hard here, but (laughs) I mean, after a couple hundred calls of it, you're, I think you get a little grace to do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah, I mean I'm sure it's been a lot of rejections to get to this point. Uh but I do know when I heard I either found out about it from a newsletter or I don't know if there was an announcement or something but I, I found out about franchise that my first reaction was like damn how did I think of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's genius man. I'm I'm very much like on top of all the fractional share platforms. Like I'm aware of them. I love it. Like I'm a big fan of FinTech. So uh, to me being in the franchise world and here, I was like, ah, I missed that one.
0: Yeah. Um, I'd been paying attention to it all for a long time. It just, um, it was honestly perfect timing for us. The market's really matured and adopted to fractional investing and alternatives. And there's still so much more room for it. Like it's actually still a small fraction of people that really think about like fractional investing in real estate and artwork and soon franchises. So like, It's not well known still, but yet it's still a huge industry already. Yeah, no, for sure. It's got a ton of
1: room to run. And I think part of it's probably like there's ways where it can get integrated more into, uh, let's call it traditional forms of investing. Meaning like you can allocate some of it from your IRA or uh, a 401k even. Like I don't know why that shouldn't happen. There's probably a risk for a 401k to have. So it's it's actually starting to come.
0: Um, So a big thing that happened with this was, I think it was June of 2020, uh, the Department of Labor issued a letter saying, hey, you know, because before it was about all that risk tolerance is that 401ks can't invest in alternatives because they're too risky. But then... Basically they start they've been reviewing this the last couple of years, and the then the Department of Labor came out and said, we're going to start letting 401ks uh actually invest in it. I mean, there's there are some already that can do this. Like if you're looking at like an Auto IRA or Rocket Dollar, there's ways to do it. Yeah. But they're like the only ones. Soon you'll have like these big institutional funds that are opening up. So like, you know, once you get the hey, it's okay to do it, you still need a couple of years to like ease into the market. So soon anyone's gonna be able to access out of any 401k. It's just it takes time for the market to Get there, especially when it's around finances.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. A lot lot of uh, red tape to get through. And so as we're recording this today, you know, it's March 9th. The first fund is hopefully launching in, let's call it like a month. Yeah, And... Uh, we can't say the brands,
0: right? No, no honestly, yeah. I, when it comes to the SEC, I just err to the side of caution. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would definitely do the same. Yeah, um, it's, like, it's like especially like with all these like user interviews I've been doing, like there's so many questions I get. And I'm like, hey, I'd love to tell you about this. But, you know, it's technically soliciting an unregistered fund at that point. And so I'm just like yeah. hands off. Like, and, and luckily, everyone's been really cool with that. Like, I think they get it. But it's funny how much like people love this and I get still almost like hate me. Like, when's this opening already? And I'm like, whoa, yeah,
1: calm yeah. it down. I want it wanted yeah, open yeah.
0: yesterday too. <laughs> yeah. People are uh,
1: are hungry for the franchises. <laughs> um, but I guess just generally, there's going to be what? 25 locations of one franchise, 25 of another to start for Fund One? 25 and 30. And if someone is throwing, you know, it's $500 a share, Let's just say they, you know, they're buying four shares of two thousand
0: dollars. That's just getting distributed equally across the fund, correct? Yeah, yeah. The way I saw it is like, you know, if someone was first start getting into like investing in stocks, you wouldn't tell them to invest in one or two stocks. You'd say, hop into a mutual fund, watch it, yeah. learn it, and then you can go there. So I want the same approach for this. So it's like a mutual fund of franchises. So you're diversified by different geographies, different brands, and different industries. I love it. Yeah, just not having it
1: be sector dependent yeah you know i think that i think that's great
0: and a lot of people would ask like can i pick individually i'm like you wouldn't know what you're looking at really
1: (laughs) yeah no for sure and as you grow you know let's say this first fund obviously been building a massive wait list i would imagine it'll be oversubscribed uh once you're officially able to you know open it up i think we can fill this fund four times over already (laughs) it's amazing as you add brands Is it kind of like a rinse and repeat playbook? Just what you're going to be doing for these first two brands, just keep doing that for other brands? Or is there almost other
0: financial products or
1: realms that you can go down? You're you're getting there.
0: Yeah, Uh, that's how I viewed that. Is that like any financial product that exists outside of shorting stuff I want to have a product for. So like this first fund is a growth fund. Uh, The next portfolio is going to be an income portfolio. And so like they'll have like different objectives and structures based on what investor goals are. Because, you know, like some people don't want things like the first fund and they're going to want the second one instead. Other people want to diversify across the two and more. So we'll have a lot of different ones going forward. But one of the big things I really want to get towards is like this localization effect where you know, like I'm in Chicago. I want to own the things I go to every day. You know, I'd like to go get a haircut at like a Supercuts I own or get my oil changed at a Meineke I own, go work out yeah. at the orange theory I own. And so like, I think people could like, people really get, like it's a power, powerful feeling right there is walking around your town and going to things that you co-own. And like, anytime a friend of yours says like, man, I hate my gym. You'd be like, oh, you should come over to this one. I'm actually a co-owner. And they're all of a sudden, they're talking about their own investments and people. they're bringing people to actually have an impact on their investments. Like, yeah, you can go uh, go work out here and they're making themselves money doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So at, at scale, this could be just, you know, you could theoretically be segmenting by geography so that you can actually target and say, I want to buy the franchises in my town.
0: Yeah, well, eventually I want you to just scan a QR code and buy some shares of the place you were just eating from.
1: <laughs> oh that would be sweet and and it's in obviously right we're talking like you know th- there's steps that need to build to this but yeah would it theoretically trade like a stock market in the sense of you know there's open market hours where you can
0: trade your shares and there's someone else on the other end of that transaction buying it from you? I mean, even this first portfolio, we're have we're a tr- secondary trading platform. So you could start doing it with this one, but eventually I'd like it to do like on other levels where you're trading other types of shares, other classes, stuff like that. But yeah, that's what I wanted to make sure as a alternative asset, we can't guarantee liquidity. So like, I want to do everything I can to help facilitate. So like having the trading platform there, having an extra wait list there, like I want all these things in there. So, you know, we can really help as much as we can, but you know, we tell everyone like plan on a long-term five to seven year old, like that's what you should be planning on. And that's how you're gonna see the most benefit. But I know, I know shit happens and I want to be a helpful hand, not just like an imposition on people. Okay. Yeah. And, And from an investor standpoint,
1: it, let's say there's another growth fund. It's an earlier stage franchise, you know, not a proven brand like a McDonald's or an Orange Theory, but let's say this franchise does really well. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, as an investor, is the possibility that not only you're getting monthly distributions from your shares, but could those actual shares increase in value that if you decide to, you can trade it on the
0: secondary market? For higher than you purchased We're it. We're already doing that for the first fund. Like when you when, okay. you when you invest, you get equity in the company. It's not just cash flow, you get equity. So like that's a big plan of ours going forward with a, a lot of our growth funds, is that we want private equity to be a buyer from us. And basically, like if you got 10 plus locations, they tend to snap them up and they'll overpay too, because they typically just have to beat market rate. And I'd love to be a supplier for them. So like when we have an exit of a portfolio, all the investors in the portfolio get their shares worth of exit value from there. So it's almost like if you owned shares of a publicly traded company and they got acquired and you get a payout, it's the same type of thing here. It's it's already set up for the first portfolio. Beautiful. I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that just, uh,
1: I, I gotta imagine like the reception has been pretty easy then for for investors, right? Yeah, it's there's been so many really, just, especially like the, operables.
0: Yeah, in the higher level ones too. We got a ton of family offices reaching out, institutional capital starting to reach out to, bunch of private equity groups. So like the demand's there and we're just excited to get it out there for people.
1: Fantastic. And if you own a franchise, I mean, this is a, a probably you know, a smaller audience than just your everyday investor who could throw 500 dollars into this. I feel like that's kind of your your main target. It's just giving lowering the the barrier to entry for them. But as a franchise owner, is there ever a world in which, you know, probably not at first, but later down the road they can go to franchairs and let's say they need growth capital to build locations.
0: Is that part of the vision or is that more just not on the roadmap? It is part of it. Like we definitely want to have debt offerings. It's just that you have to do it in the right way because I've seen platforms where like, they do like small business loans, especially for like startup costs. And the problem is that like a lot of times, like honestly the SBA backed loans are fantastic and that should be where you go generally. So it's hard to beat those. And so if you're not going there, typically people are charging too much interest and it's just like not beneficial for the franchisee. And frankly, a lot of the investors, it's not enough pull for them anyway. So it's it's hard to find the right balance there. So we're definitely going to see the best way to do that. But I think honestly, a lot of them are going to prefer to sell a little equity, get some chips off the table, but sell it to their local market. And so that way you've got more buy-in from literally your community and you're going to have built-in customers. You're going to have built-in evangelists telling people to go there. So that's definitely a route I see us going, but you know, I want to be able to benefit them in any way. So that again, like it's hard to beat the SBA.
1: <laughs> I just love that community aspect though. Because you're right. I mean, the the buy-in is, I mean, it's never been done before, right? You know, like, uh, I mean, my, it's funny, my uh, parents love buying stocks, my mom especially. Like, she owns like class, I don't even know, class Z of Berkshire Hathaway.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) But, you know, they own the world basically. So anytime she's having like a product that they own, whether it's like Dairy Queen or Coca-Cola, or God knows how many companies that they're big owners of. She likes to, you know, pretend like, yep, she's boosting her stock price.
0: Those that, are harder to yeah. actually, like, think of that, too. Like, a lot of people own Disney shares. They don't, like, watch a movie, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Disney, I'm contributing. <laughs> right. Versus, like, if you yeah. actually see the store walking or driving down, that's very different. That's tangible. Like, it's the tangibility factor. It's really hard. Exactly. It, like exactly. You can own yeah. shares of Walmart stock. We've drive by Walmart, you're, most people just don't really think about it. It's also, like, commercial real estate. It's also usually not in their market at all. So, like, you don't go driving yeah. by, like oh, there's 400 West Wacker. Yeah, guys, get it. Love it. You know, <laughs> so it's it's things that you can actually be a part of and see. No, yeah, it's it's way more
1: exciting. And yeah, I think there's just an element of fun to it. So that's cool, man. Yeah, I guess uh, any anything I didn't touch on that you'd want to get out, but I feel like
0: we've covered kind of the mission and just how it's going to work for investors. I mean, I think we're going to have to have many conversations in the future because I could go on about a million things, but <laughs> actually we got a little sidetracked. There was like the actual funding of the company itself. He asked me if I could have done this on my own, but that I didn't. Yeah. So I mean, you want to go down that road? We got time? Yeah. 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 Awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Cause um, it was funny when I first started this, I was just like, oh, there's like so many companies that do fractional ownership of stuff. Like shouldn't be a problem to get funding. And I reached out to like three or 400 different venture capital groups and might've gotten two or three responses to be honest. And those were just like friendly ones. They were typically Chicago based and just like, Oh, you're in Chicago. Sure. Let's chat. And I was like, ah, it's early. Good luck. And I was like, all right, well, again, I saw the vision. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep marching through. And so I actually started off. I did it a little backwards. Normally you have a venture capital group lead the round and then you fill it with other investors. Since yeah. venture was talking to me, I went and found angel investors first. And, uh, it's amazing how much that narrative changes when uh, you know, you're know you talking to people who are like closer to the industry or just like on a more personal level where they don't get the offers as often. Cause yeah. I ended up raising almost 600,000 in like three weeks. Uh, then I start going back to the venture capital groups. And it's amazing when you say, Hey, I have over half a million. They all their t- tune changes a lot. And they're just yeah. like, like, Oh yeah, let's talk. And um, th- I mean, everyone was so receptive. It was great, but I got a lot of the same feedback. It was, this is a great idea. You're definitely the guy to do it. I don't know anything about franchises. And that was just like <laughs> always the nail hit in the coffin. I'm just like, great. I got to find someone in, v- in VC who knows franchises. Like, all right, here we go. And, um, but it was great because everyone understood where this was going, that they would at least want yeah. to refer you to someone that might be more in, the, in that space. Or especially like sometimes they invest later stage and they're like, you're too early, but let me refer you to this person because they're going to help you out. And then you're going to remember me. And so um, then eventually I got introduced to Chicago Ventures, which is great. They're down the street from me. And they were coming off home run after home run, Cameo, Project 44, M1 Finance. They had like six or seven companies turned into unicorns, a billion dollar Damn. valuation in the same year. And so I got introduced to them and, um, you know, I'm talking to a couple people from like the uh, you know lower level to like get the conversations going. And then eventually I'm finally getting introduced to the founder or one of the founders of the fund, Stuart Larkins. And right before Stuart hops on my, uh, analyst I was working with tells me like, Hey, I just found out he's actually invested in franchising before. I'm like, what? How do you never mention this before? He's like, (laughs) I just found out. I'm like, Oh my God. And so he hops on and immediately I'm just like, all right, I've heard you invest in franchise before. Tell me about it. And he's like, well, me means some partners rolled up 500 locations of, uh, He prefers, I don't say the name, but of a very major fast food brand to become their largest franchisee and then sold it to private equity. And he's like, it's one of the best deals I ever did. Oh, and I'm like, oh, so you get this. He's like, yeah, I get it. And right then I'm just like, deal's done. He got it. Yeah, you're in. We're done. And um, they were just the perfect group to work with. And like some of their LPs are large franchisees too. And so I just like amazing connections coming out of it. Like it was it it was just perfect and so i couldn't be happier to be uh working with them that's great man yeah i mean franchising is just such a if you're on the
1: inside you can see the potential through you know there's tons of ways to make money in the franchise world but if you're not in it it's it's always like it's just too foreign of a concept to to really want to dive in yeah
0: and maybe they think about like some Someone stuck behind a fast food counter who hates life, like that's kind of the, the vision they get, and it's just like that's not I mean, it. <laughs> it's like uh,
1: I credit to McDonald's, but to, for for how big they are, and but it it is kind of annoying. Like the mind share, they have a the monopoly on the mind share of what franchising means to society. I feel
0: like. Well, you know, I, I have a theory on why that is too, because I, I I hear that all the time too. Obviously, and what what I yeah. say is that like, is franchising is about having the business systems in place to, you know, establish market dominance and also scale and all these things. And the thing is, fast food is one of the most competitive industries known to man. So if you're in one of the most competitive industries known to man, what part of the business system do you really need? Marketing. And so they're the ones that are in the most competitive, so they have to market the most, so people hear about them the most. But then, you know, and then all the other ones, like you just don't hear about them because they don't have to market as much. They win your business in other ways. And so, um, you know, I I think franchise is going to change that. I think you're going to change that. I think franchising as a whole is going to have a very different decade or two coming up because I think people people love the idea of working for themselves and being self-employed and you know making their own way in the world, but they think startup is the way to do it. And it's just like, well, hey, we can accomplish all these same things if you just release the idea of it has to be your unique startup idea, but you're open to using an idea that's already proven. It's already there and leverage their systems because then it's like, yeah, you want to make six figures, run your own hours, all that stuff? Like, yeah, franchising can do that for you. You just have to suspend the ego and be like, can I hop into a plug-and-play system, which they were already doing in the corporate world anyway. So it's like, what's wrong with it doing it here?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's kind of two breakthroughs. It's one that the franchises are beyond uh, fast food and McDonald's, right? That it's a whole wide world of different businesses that you could jump in on. And then secondly, that you can leverage them to – actually make very good returns i think people get caught up on either that it's uh it's mcdonald's or bust and i can't buy a mcdonald's or you know they get past that and then they're like oh, i don't want to pay a royalty but the reality is that i mean what that gets you is a lot like you mentioned the proof of concept I yeah think. it's people if you want to start your own small business i'm not saying that you shouldn't do that depending on the person maybe you don't have the personality to work under a franchise or or maybe you're just incredibly talented uh, talented, and can build your own amazing small business. But if not, I mean, like there's franchises out there at various levels of growth that have anywhere from 10 locations open to a couple hundred that, I mean, th- those are data points for you as an entrepreneur to say, yeah. okay, it works in X amount of markets. It's average revenue is, you know, whatever the number is. Mm-hmm. And for you, I mean, that's like as an entrepreneur, that's
0: just a higher likelihood of success is, is what that translates to. Yeah. One, one of the biggest things is a trend that I, I see coming is, um, you know, the last 10, 15 years, especially have been really romanticizing the startup world. But with part of that is that you have this whole generation of people who, especially in tech sales in tech sales, they work you to the bone and you're aged out by like 35 or 40. And so you've got this whole generation of people who are great at sales. They want to make six figures. They got to provide for their family, though, need some predictability. And, you know, they're like, how do I put all these things together? It's like you're literally a perfect franchisee. Like you just need to let go of the idea that it's not right for you and start learning about it. And because a lot of them, they're like, oh, I can move to a different company and sell this something else. But then it's hard to get hired because you're aged out. But it's like, hey, why don't you go sell something easier? own the business, and go take over the market. Like, And also, it's just like being more part of the community. It matches up what people are looking for. They just have the F-word connotation stuck in their head.
1: Yeah, it's the F-word, man. It, that, there really is a stigma with it, um, which, I mean, for better or worse, I do understand part of it. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I do think uh, you know what you're doing is helping to kind of usher in, hopefully, a new era so thank you for that. You know, uh we're rooting for you over here. you are doing H2. it too.
0: Your logo's awesome. Your content's <laughs> awesome. Uh you're way better at social media than I am. I hope to aspire to be at your level one day. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, maybe we can uh trade secrets there. Uh, deal at some point. Well, uh, um, SEC if you're listening, that's not trade secrets. Just uh <laughs> We're just yeah, trying to be funny yeah. on the internet with franchising. It's very tough. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. Well, all right, man. This this was a good conversation. So
1: uh, thanks for coming on. And where can folks find you and Franchairs, you know, whether they want to learn more about you, Kenny, or about Franchairs, what's what's the best places for them to research?
0: So franchairs.com or come find me on LinkedIn. I'm super active on there and really appreciate you having me on. Like this has been awesome uh, watching you start from the beginning and get this up and going. I'm super excited to see everywhere this is going to go because uh, it, it's a big industry and someone needs to be a voice in I think I'm, I'm stoked you're it. Likewise, man. Appreciate it. Um, we'll talk soon. Alrighty. Thanks for listening to Franchise
1: Empires. We're coming to you soon with actionable insights to take the next step on your franchise journey. So make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen.